or they were in shelves and things in in uh, the bedroom where my son-in-law and daughter staying. So oh, I thought, wow, I didn't know I had so many books. And that's not all of them. There's still some in other shelves that I didn't have to move. But I love books. I love to read them. And I put them in a certain place. I'll buy them. I think, okay, I'm not going to buy another book. But I do. And, uh, and I just keep them in a certain place until I read them. So every book that's in my shelves I've read because that's what I want to do. I want to read them. And uh, that's why I buy them. And it's just, anyway, it's just good to glean from those that have, uh, God has used mightily in our lives. Um, so he wrote this book called A Spirit Formed Life. And he's a wise, wise man of God. And I just thought there were things that we could all learn from him. You know, I was sitting Sunday. And uh, sometimes, some of that time when Alan's preaching, is my such a really good time because when he starts preaching, God starts speaking to me, and I just start writing, and I'm listening to him. It's not I'm not distracted, but as he's speaking, God's writing, and I I was writing some things, and uh, and I just began to have a thought. I was thinking about what he was teaching us, and then I just began to think about what I've learned in my life from God. What are the things that I've learned? From God, and I just kind of begin to jot down just topics, just thoughts of things that I've learned. I thought, wow, and I think there's more. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Wanda, Rick's mother, spoke prophetically to me one time, and she said, Kim, you're going to write a book, so maybe that'll be my book, and I think it'll just be titled, What I've Learned from the Lord in My Life. I don't know, but I just Y'all, I don't know. I mean, I was saved in 1980, so I don't know when everybody in here was saved. So I've walked with the Lord, not perfectly, but I've been saved since 1980. And I've learned a lot, a lot, and I just begin to think back on the things. And, you know, y'all, everybody doesn't know. And I'm not saying to puff up, but I'm just saying I, I have had mentors that have taught me things, have sh- helped me to listen to men and women of God like Jack Havert and Brother Kenneth Hagin and Brother Kenneth Copeland and just so many people, particularly spirit-filled people of God that have taught us so much that have helped us to walk in victory and to walk in peace and joy in this life. Things that I had no clue and I am so grateful. And y'all, there's a whole generation that I believe doesn't know about these things. And the Bible teaches us to pass it, what, from one generation to the next. This generation will declare the works of God to who? The next generation. And I just want to encourage you, the things that you know of God, declare it to your children. Declare it to your grandchildren. Declare those things. Teach them. Share with them. You know, there's books. There's some books that I give away, but there's some books that will stay. And they're going to be passed down to my kids. Don't you get rid of those books. Y'all read those books, you know. Because they helped me in my life. They helped me to know God in a way and to to be able to walk with him in faith and believing. And you know what? It turned the light on in my life. And it dispelled the darkness and the lies of the enemy. And God wants that for us. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the ninth discipline. And I thought, you know, if y'all don't like that word discipline, somebody people don't like that word, you could think of it as a practice. 
a spirit form, uh, the practice of, of a spirit form life, or you could think of it as a habit of a spirit form life. You know, if you don't like the word discipline, you know, if that sounds maybe too legalistic or something, it's not, because we do have disciplines in our life. We do walk in spiritual disciplines. You know, we read all through the Bible ways that God gives us to walk this life out. And it's not with a whip, but he tells us the pathway of life. He tells us the way of wisdom, and it's found in his word. And so tonight, the ninth uh, practice or the ninth uh, discipline of a spirit form life we're going to talk about is about practicing solitude. And if you're a mother of children or have people in your house like I do, that word solitude, you go, I'd like some solitude, you know. And I want to talk about it in a, a spiritual way and, a, you know, in a, in, in a natural way, too, of solitude. But I want to tell you one thing as we get into talking about this. Um, if you've ever heard of Susanna Wesley, she uh, was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, and I believe she had 12 children. I'm not totally sure if that, I, you know, I just thought of it on the way out here, so I didn't look it up. But she had a lot of kids. And I heard, uh, and again, I didn't. I didn't fact check this, so y'all can if you want to. Y'all can correct me if it's not right. But, but I heard in my growing up in the Lord life that Susanna would be in the kitchen, put her apron over her head, and have her solitude with God, with all of those children. But the children would leave her be while she had that apron over her head. So see, you can have a place of solitude anywhere, anytime. If Susanna can put her apron over her head and have it with 12 kids, like I said, it may not have been 12. I know it was a lot. So I had three. That was plenty. Um, but we can have that place. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 in the Passion Translation says this. The next morning, Jesus got up long before daylight, left the house while it was dark, and made his way to a secluded place to give himself to prayer. So tonight we're going to consider the wisdom and the benefits of regularly experiencing both the private and personal presence of God and also the personal time and space away from life's daily demands. You have to just step away sometimes. Again, it may be under an apron, but God calls us to step away into that place. We can see from that scripture in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Without this practice, life and service can bring discouragement, distraction, and defeat. Uh, Pastor Hayford talks about a time when he was on the edge of a nervous breakdown because of the demands of his sketch. He's a minister of the gospel. He's a pastor of a church, and he's on the edge of a nervous breakdown because he didn't take time for solitude with the Lord. One that he was backsliding, he was just under those pressures and it was taking his joy. And that's what happens when we don't come away and allow the Lord to refresh us. It can bring discouragement and distraction for sure. And the enemy tries to bring defeat to us, make us want to give up, make us say, oh, it's too hard, I can't do it, I'm worn out, burn us out. He tries to do all those things. But, you know, when we learn things like this, it will help us, and we can guard against that, and we can keep that from happening. If we will regularly implement the practice of solitude, life will be recharged with energy and spiritual renewal. 
you know, I was talking to Alan Day. I was telling him about what I was going to talk about. And, and you know, sometimes just in our own house, it used to be in another bedroom where my daughter and son-in-law are, but now it's in our bedroom. <laughs> my, my solitude chair uh, is in their bedroom now, so I have another chair in my bed. I like having chairs in my bedroom, comfortable ones. I used to rock my babies in them, and I just upholstered chairs that are comfortable that you can just sit and read. And, and those are my places of solitude. Just It's in my house, but I just come away for a little quiet and, and just refreshing from the Lord. I have to tell you, I personally have to have it. I, I, it, I am depleted if I don't have that time. And it doesn't even have to be extended. I tell you what, just one drop from God's presence, just one drop from Him, you're just refreshed. It's amazing. The practice of solitude is neither, it's not an attempt to escape reality, and it's not a retreat from responsibility. Oh, well, I'm just going to go be with God, and I don't care that my dishes are to here. You know, it's not that. That's not what this is talking about. But it's the biblical response to the reality that the demands of duty, we all have them. The swirl of activities around us, we all have them. The pressures of circumstances and urgent needs are all around us. It's the biblical response to those things that tend to converge on us all, and that's pulling away for some time with the Lord and away from others, just you and God. You know, when this life is all said and done, I thought about this. Alan told y'all we went to a funeral. I should say a homegoing because he was ready. He had been in a real... You know, I don't even know that he, I don't think he'd even been sick a year. I mean, from healthy to attacked and and sick. And But he was ready. And, you know, uh, the pastor said that he had asked for communion and he, and he wanted everybody in the room, you know, to take it, in, in the hospital room, to take it together. And so, you know, he knew the Lord and he was ready. But, you know, when you think about it, when it, when it's all said and done, talking about coming away alone with the Lord, just you and him, that's how we go from this life. He comes to get us. John says he prepares a place and I'll come again. And I'll come. I'll come to get you. And so you need to get used to that. You need to just go ahead and get used to being with God and being alone with him and practicing that it's you and him. Because, you know, the person next to you might say, no, nah, I don't want any more of this or somebody else may. But you need to practice your life with God and developing your relationship with Him. In the midst of life's busyness, Jesus established a pattern that teaches us a principle that brings balance and it helps us to retain our priorities in life. You know, the distinctive characteristic of people who walk faithfully with the Lord for long seasons of time is that they've learned this simple way. They're people who can experience trials beyond what they could have ever known, what they, beyond what they could have ever imagined. But they come through with faithfulness, stability, and strength of character. It's not that the trial is a small thing. It's a big thing. But they come through. And what truly allows these people to live steadfastly in the things of the Spirit over the long haul is not their ability to stand splendidly in glory moments, but rather it's their ability to find a way through difficulties by God's grace 
having found resources of grace that he gives us in less obvious ways, like a place of solitude. Such people know the value of quietness. They know the value of solitude, of waiting on the Lord as a necessary source for dealing with the tough times in life because they come. Does everybody in here know they come? They come. But that quietness, the Lord just speaking to you, it just puts you over. It just lets you know it's going to be okay. You may not know how. Karen uh, Wheaton used to sing a song, Promise. There's a promise coming down the road. In, in, in that song, she'd say, you may not know how and you may not know when, but there's a promise coming down the road, and he's going to bring it. Our eyes are just staying on him. I'm sure all of us at such times, through trials and tribulations, wish that we could get away from it all. <laughs> and, you know, we do need times. We literally need times to get away for times of recreation. We need that. And there's no problem in that. But recreation, vacation, we just had one. <sighs> We've had one. Now I have to have a vacation for my vacation. <laughs> yeah, did y'all know there's laundry after vacation <laughs> and ironing? No. But it's great to see great things that God has. But recreation and vacation or relaxation are not what I'm talking about by solitude. Although at times... Getting away on a vacation like that may provide a setting for it. But by solitude, I mean being alone with the Lord in a quiet quest for God. Now, New Age talks about meditation. I'm not talking New Age. I'm talking about God the Father, God of the Bible, the one true God. That's what I'm talking about. And getting away with Him in your quest for Him. The practice of solitude was Jesus' idea. We see in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 and 32, in the Passion Translation, it says this. The apostles returned from their mission. Jesus had sent them out. They've come back telling him all about it. And they gathered around Jesus and they told him everything they had done and taught. Verse 31. There was such a swirl of activity around Jesus with so many people coming and going that they were unable to even eat a meal. So Jesus said to his disciples, come, let's take a break and let's find a secluded place where you can rest a while. And then in verse 32 it says they slipped away and they left by sailboat for a deserted spot. Now I read on and uh, the people saw where they were going. They ran down and uh, met them when they got there. And then Jesus, the Bible said, he was filled with compassion and he ministered to them again. So I guess their secluded spot was the boat ride because the people were waiting when they got there. But Jesus was showing the need. And you see in his own life, I read it previously, that he came away. He came away early to the Lord so that he could set apart that time for prayer, for talking to God. That's what it's talking about. There, are, there simply are times that we need to just stop. We just need to stop. Jesus noted that, and he called his disciples to observe a time out with him. He knew what was going on. He knew what they'd been doing. He said, come on, let's get away for a little bit. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29 says this, talking about getting away, but there's a way to do it that will minister to you. It says, are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? 
then come to me. I will refresh your life. For I am your oasis. Verse 29 of Matthew 11. Simply join your life with mine. You know, when you come away in solitude, you're joining your life to him. Learn my ways and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, and easy to please. The devil will tell you God's not easy to please. He's easy to please because you know what? We're in him and we're just doing what he shows us. We're not trying to do it. We're just living in him and he's showing us. You will find refreshment and rest in me. He gave us the answer. You need rest. You need refreshing. You need recreation. Come to me. I'll do it. I'm your oasis. There's many biblical cases where people have gone into times of solitude. Paul did. Moses did. Elijah did. David did. John did. And rather than escaping reality, they found the entrance into it. It's not an escape. It's an entrance into the realness of God. They came freshly into the reality of God's presence and they found in that place a renewal of his purpose for their lives. God wants to do that in each one of us. He wants to give us a renewal of purpose. Such instances in the scriptures and in the lives of others teach us how to regain in quiet what we have lost in the hustle and bustle of our intensely complex culture. It gets faster and faster, do y'all think? It does. It seems to. And so you've got to regain in quiet what gets lost in all of that. You know, I do that in my life. I just say, can't go another place, can't do another thing, can't even talk to another person till I get with God and get quiet and let him just refresh me and talk to me. Because I'm going to say things and do things that are not going to look like him. Yes. <laughs> and you know, but just a little bit. It's amazing. It doesn't even cost you anything. It's amazing that refreshing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Finding times for solitude definitely requires our making a choice. God will meet us when we give him time. You may say, well, you don't know my life. You don't know I do this and I do that. I always say we make time for the things that we want. We, we do the things we want to do. That's the truth. I'll tell you something the Lord told me. I've probably told it to you before. But I'll, in case you haven't heard it, I'll tell it to you again. Something the Lord told me in this sanctuary one day. He said, as long as you make an excuse and shift the blame, you will always remain the same. I wrote in my Bible. That's what I do. People journal. I write stuff in my Bible. <laughs> I journal some. I'm not real good at it, but I think, it's, I think it's a good thing to do. I'm not real faithful, but I like to write it in my Bible. But you know why the Lord said that to me? Because I made excuses. I shifted the blame. And I was frustrated that I was still the same. So he showed me the way. And he, I didn't feel condemned. I had just entered into truth. And it brought freedom into my life because I recognized, well, golly, that is what I'm doing. That's dumb, isn't it? But you will not, you, how shall I say this? You don't, we don't, we don't realize how many times we're making excuses and we're shifting the blame and we're wondering why it's still so crummy. 
Let it start at home. Quit shifting the blame. Own it. Take it. God doesn't condemn us. He helps us. It's not how many times we fall. It's when we let him help us up again. But if we keep blaming others and we, we just keep shifting and we make an excuse for ourselves. Now, we don't want to excuse anybody else. We just want to excuse ourselves, right? The Lord also told me one time, if you want mercy, you need to give mercy. Because I want to give mercy to me, but I didn't really want to give it to anybody else. You know, God knows how to show you those things. And he's never mean or harsh or you don't feel condemned. You go, you're right. That's crummy. And then you're free and you go, hey, let's do it God's way. And you get freer and freer and life gets better and better. When you step out of that darkness into his light of what he's telling you to, it's great. So finding time for solitude is our choice. The purpose of solitude is to get into the presence of God through talking with him, through reading his word, through listening to worship music, and just allowing him to unravel tension. And to unveil direction. I tell you, in his presence, it just begins to unravel that tension. You may not know all the answers. You know what I say? Write down your stuff you want to say. Look, Lord, look at that. Would you just look at that? You know, showing. <laughs> Makes you feel good. You know, they say sometimes writing things down. <laughs> well, write it down. Oh, look at that, Lord. <laughs> but he's got a way. He makes a way of escape. He makes a way out. The Bible said he always leads us in triumph. So you're on your way to triumph no matter what all this stuff looks like. And I am so amazed at the amount of scriptures that is in his book that have a, a, a personal word to us in every circumstance. I'm amazed. I am amazed. I go, wow. I mean, just some things, you know, oh, so good. It's just so good. If you'll give yourself time to just, he'll just open it to you. So he wants to unravel your attention in your life. You feel tense. He wants to unravel that and he wants to unveil direction. It's good, again, to write down things that God unfolds to your heart. A book of remembrance, writing it down. You know, because things don't always happen right then. But I call on promises or a word from the Lord or a word of encouragement or something that God said. This is, no, this is the way it's going to be. And so I write it down. So when the enemy tries to discourage me or defeat me, I go, no, this is what God said. And I really like to I have a little magnetic board by my prayer chair that's in the other room now. But anyway, it'll, I'll be there again. But uh, I like, you know, I, I have little magnets I bought. And so I put things up there. They're either prayers or promises. And, and it just keeps it before my eyes. You know how the Lord said about the word, you know. To talk about it when you lie down, when you walk about the way. Uh, set it before your eyes, you know. And so it keeps it in front of me remembering what he said. So what does it do? Faith comes by hearing and hearing. So it keeps you in faith. It keeps you believing and pointing in God's direction and what he has said for you. You know, man, anybody had some messes that have lasted a while? A day or two or a year or two? Yeah. We all do. I still got some messes. I got some promises up there. And those messes are going to come. Uh, I say, Lord, the Lord does this. He unknots. You know how little knots are? I mean, little bitty things. Oh, my gosh. And some knots you think only God can get out. And that's the way our lives are sometimes. But God's going to unknot those naughty things in our lives. His presence is fully available to us. If we'll give him time by withdrawing from other persons. 
and pressures and just let Him be made known to us. He wants you to know how much He loves you and how much He has for you and what joy you bring to Him. You may say, oh, I don't bring joy. I don't, I don't act very good. I don't either. He sees us through the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice, the sacrificial blood of the Lamb. Jesus brings joy to Him all the time. So we're in Him. It's a freeing place. I'm not giving you permission saying, I want to just act any way you want. That's not what we do. We want to be what He wants us to be. But nobody's ever going to be perfect until He comes again. So just go on to Him. He knows our frailties. He knows our stuff. Let Him help you with it. Let Him set you free and help you. You know, we don't have to go to the mountains or the coast to have some time for solitude. We can go outside early in the morning or we can go into the living room before everybody else gets up. Or you can take a walk through your neighborhood before others are out and about to have your time of solitude. And let me say this too. It's a non-performance-based behavior. You're not going because you have to. You're not going there to do some one, two, threes or to be something or to say, well, now I'm going to pray this to God and I'm going to do it. No, it's just going, here I am, Lord. I'm here. I'm here. I just want to be with you. I just, I, just want, I just need to be with you. Can I sit in your lap today? <laughs> Could you put your arms around me today? I just need a hug. I just need to be with you, God. I need to just tell you I love you and I'm thankful that you love me. And let him talk to you and let him love on you. And you can tell him things that are bothering you. It's okay, but it's not a performance-based behavior solitude. Nothing with God is. It's doing this to let him refresh you and help you. You're just stepping away from the hustle and bustle of life to sit quietly and tell the Lord, I'm just here. I'm just here to be with you. It's so refreshing and it is such a beautiful exchange of, I call them love moments with the Lord. You're loving Him and He's loving you. And you know what it does? It makes us more loving and more kind. And it fills us with peace and joy. And the problems are still there, but you know what? God's got them. We just put them over. What does the Bible say? Cast your care, cast your burdens onto Him. So take in your bag of rocks and just say, okay, you said you wanted them. Here they are. Lord, I ask you to work this out. Now I'm just going to sit and talk to you. Jesus loves to have us just be with him, person to person, in his presence, and growing to know him. There's a hymn that's called In the Garden. And I can remember I can remember my mother. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, telling about a, a neighbor where I grew up, uh, I lived there. I was born in 1954. My parents built this house in 1956. We moved there, and I lived there until I went to college for like a year, but I came home every weekend because I had to see you-know-who back there. And, uh, and then um, I lived there till 1974 when we married. So I, I lived there a long time, but also we had neighbors to the right of us, the left of us, and across the street from us that were our neighbors all those years. And uh, so one neighbor to the left 
my mother, I remember my mother telling me that he, he, they would pick peas. People let them go to their gardens and they'd pick peas. And so he would sing this song. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm sure most of you know it. <laughs> and the words, the words say, I come to the garden alone. It's so beautiful. They sing it at funerals a lot, but I love it. I think it is so beautiful. While the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And that's what God wants for you. He wants to tarry with you and just to tell you that you are his own. Those were freeing words to me when I became saved to know that God loved me. With all my junk, he loved me. And I wasn't going to be in trouble with him. He just loved me. It it freed me. It freed me. This hymn is a reminder of how much we need time of solitude. Just being with God. Seeking the kind of relationship that does nothing more than open us up to his love. Through dependent, childlike waiting. In the pressure-filled atmosphere of sometimes self-inflicted and other times externally required circumstances. Sometimes we do it and sometimes others put it on us. But the simplicity and beauty that come by just being with the Lord have sometimes become difficult commodities to find. But solitude can be found. And even in waiting at a desk, if you work at a desk, Waiting in a Walmart parking lot. You can find that place of solitude. Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9 in the Passion Translation says, So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real. He's the authentic and the real. Keep your thoughts fixed on all that is honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Verse 9 of Philippians 4. Follow the example of all that we've imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. He'll be with you, and he will impart that peace to you. In our quiet times of solitude, And hopefully all the time, we will fasten our thoughts on the goodness of God. You have to fasten them there. The enemy wants to take them off. The Greek verb there for that word, fasten your thoughts, or other translation says to think on these things. That word is a mathematical or a bookkeeping term. It's the word logizo, I guess is how you say it, L-O-G-I-Z-O. And it points toward reflection or meditation as a means to take time and to tally the goodness of God, keeping score of the good things of God. That's what it's talking about when, it, when, when this verse in Philippians 4, 8, 9 tells us to think on these things, fasten our thoughts on these things. We're, we're thinking on those. We're keeping score. We're remembering the goodness of God. 
And it's so important because we can so easily become preoccupied with things that are not good because there's plenty of it. And there's plenty of problems. There's plenty of stuff. But we need to think on the lovely and the blessed and the beauty of God's acts of kindness and mercy and provision for us. You know, when I began to think Sunday about all the things that I had learned, man, I just began to be so blessed. Wow, Lord. Yes, that is so good. That is so awesome. You need to do that. Think of what you've learned in God and what he's taught you. When we do this, when we have those places of solitude, it both shrinks the thread of our problems and it starts their solution. When we come to God this way, it will just shrink up those problems and it will start that solution. Was it? I, I don't know if it was Brother Hagen or Brother Osteen that would say, don't talk to, to God about your mountain. Talk to your mountain about your God because he's bigger. He tells us to speak to him, and he said they'll move. Tell you what, get to speaking of those things. There is great power released through reflection and meditation in the Lord's presence. Take time to be alone with him. Take time to allow him to speak to you, to love on you. Write down his words to you. Write down the thoughts he gives you. And then live as his Holy Spirit directs you. As the Holy Spirit refreshes you, live in that refreshment. Live as he corrects us. He's corrected me. I've told you tonight some of the corrections he's given me. I'm not ashamed. I think, you know what would be a shame? If I didn't receive that correction and didn't begin to make that turn and to walk in it. That would be a shame on me. But it's not a shame to be corrected. We all need it. We all need to be corrected by the Lord and by others. We don't all do it perfectly. And to walk in that renewal that he gives us. The practice or the discipline of solitude will bring renewal to you. It will. Give him time to do this for you. He's here for you right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for... Just the beautiful truth of coming away with you and all that it does. And, Father, I know that it not only blesses us and is a blessing us, but, Father, it ministers to you. It ministers to us as you pour out your love and your word, and it ministers, and we, in turn, minister back to you. Father, we know that you... You need us because we see that Jesus, he told his disciples, couldn't you tarry with me one hour? Couldn't you pray one hour with me? And so, Father, I know that it is a blessing and that it blesses you when we take that time to just be with you. We always, I know we think about, man, I, I wish my husband would do this or I wish my wife would, we could get away or I, I wish um, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, but you know, Lord, You want us to have alone time with you. And let us remember that. That it's not just being alone with humans, but it's being alone with you as well and having that place, those love moments together. Father, we thank you for this truth. I thank you that it will bear much fruit in our lives as we not only hear this word, but we get to step out and act on it. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer tonight, I'd love to pray with you. Or ask somebody else that you rather.